This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I thought I told all of you I want radio silence until further... Oh, I'm very sorry, Hans. I didn't get that message. Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? 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 Where do you think you're going to put a tree that big? Bend over and I'll show you. Show you. Show you. It's show likely you. that some other simulation will get switched off and, and we're part of the simulations of that simulation and then we'll just cease to exist. But that's okay. We won't know anything about it. It'll be fine. It's not happened yet. Happy Christmas! <laughs> I just want my family back. No toys, nothing but Peter, Kate, Buzz, Megan, Linny, and Jeff. And my aunt and my cousins. And if he has time, my Uncle Frank. It's Christmas Eve. It's the one night of the year when we all act a little nicer. For a couple of hours out of the whole year, we are the people that we always hoped we would be. Possibly. But I guess the only thing I would add is not as good as the book. No, I'd say that as well. Yeah? Yeah. The book's amazing. Mm. And, and What's such a great, great Christmas, Christmas present. present. Mm. <laughs> Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Hello, and welcome to this very special festive edition of Science-ish. I'm Rick Edwards, joined as ever by Dr. Michael Brooks. Hello. Who is dressed as a, a sexy elf, I think, isn't it? I think that's what I was going for, yeah. Yeah, it's actually, it's more revealing than uh, <laughs> extra, extra small. Extra small. Mm, and you are not extra small, are you? Uh, I was once. It actually um, kind of suits you. Yeah, thank you. Now, we know that you have all been on the edge of your seats, understandably, just waiting for the drop of season three of Science-ish. Big news. The wait is over. Hold on. There's a little bit to wait. <laughs> I mean, uh, season three is going to be hitting your ears pretty soon. It's going to be the first... Well, we haven't got a date. We know it's <laughs> going to be at the start of next year, if by start you mean within the first six months. What do you reckon? You Give know, me a date guess. I'm thinking February. First of Feb. Yeah. It, it could be... The 1st of February, which is very exciting. It is exciting if it's true. Well, and, and the only people who know if it's true or not, actually it's not us, is it? No. <laughs> Still not us. <laughs> but we, we do know the kind of films we're going to be looking at, though, don't we? Uh, yeah, yeah, we've got lots of great stuff lined up. We're going to do Flatliners, aren't we? Oh, yeah, we're going to do Flatliners. We're going to do Never Let Me Go. Yes! Which, which I've been asking for for a while. Which you're very, very over-pleased uh-huh. about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
producer Max has said, don't give away any more surprises. Oh, yeah. That's leave, lucky. Leave them wanting more. Because <laughs> we don't know anything. But whilst you're waiting for the much vaunted drop of season three of Science Dish, we wanted to just give you just a little something, something to, to tide you over. And so we're going to go back to the start of series one and review every question we've ever done. Is that right? Or we could just do a kind of episode where we revisit our favourite questions from series two. Yeah, I like that. Maybe we do that. Let's do that. Okay, yeah, fine. So let's go with three questions as always, one each, and then should we let producer Max <sighs> choose one? If we must. I don't want to, but it sort of seems fair. All right. Max, what do you want to do? What about uh, perfume? Okay, so perfume it is. Let's start with question one of that episode, which was, how do we smell? Terrible. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> before, <laughs> before we get into it, Brooksy, just give me a, a little overview of lock and shape theory. <laughs> so the, um, the standard theory of how we smell is that chemicals that we're going to smell have a certain shape mm-hmm. uh, which will only fit into certain receptors. So they're like a key going into a lock. And those, yep. re- those receptors fire uh, because the, they are shaped to receive this chemical shape. So it's a very simple theory. Uh, it's a nice idea, except that we've got like you know 350, maybe 400 smell receptors, and we can smell like 10,000, anywhere up to a trillion different smells. So it seems like there's a big gap in the theory. So is it a load of old nonsense then? I wouldn't go that far. It's the best we've got. You know, science can only go so far, can't it? And uh, this one sort of seems like it's a good idea until you sort of do the maths and you think, hold on, there must be something more complicated going on than this, but we don't really know what. Mm, Or maybe we do. Well, this is the thing. There are other theories out there. And one of them that we learned about in that episode was from a certain Dr. Luca Turin. So there there really are two kinds of problems with shape theory. One is that it doesn't work in a practical sense since um, fragrance companies essentially discover new smells by um, random, by trial and error, mostly error. So that tells you you don't have a theory. So, you know, in a sense, I mean, a theory is, among other things, a labor-saving um, device that enables you to go straight to the thing you want. So they clearly do not have that in the fragrance industry. That's 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 uh, objection number one. Objection number two is slightly more subtle, and uh, and but I think actually more telling. The the fact is that we know chemists know, and everybody who's looked at this knows that we can smell um, functional groups, meaning small parts of molecules that determine their chemistry. So, for example, if a molecule has a CN, C triple bond N, that's a nitrile group, it will smell of nitrile, regardless of what the rest of the molecule is. And similarly, and that's the best known, if it has SH, it'll smell of rotten eggs, regardless of what the rest of the molecule is. It'll smell of something else as well, but it'll smell of rotten eggs, definitely. Now, this is so well known that we've sort of forgotten how remarkable it is, because the remarkable part is this. How do you know that an SH group is there or a CN group or an NOH group or an NC group by molecular recognition? Each of those groups can make only one, at most, hydrogen bond to whatever receptor they're binding to. How does the receptor know that the hydrogen bond is being made by one functional group rather than another? And that's the 
that's the biggest ob objection, in my opinion, to a shape theory. Wonderful, he murmured, sniffing greedily. It has a, a cheerful character. It's, it's charming. It's like a melody. Puts you in a good mood at once. Oh, what nonsense. <laughs> a good mood. He made a dive for his desk, grabbing paper, ink, and a fresh handkerchief. Laid it all out properly and began his analysis. The procedure was this. To dip the handkerchief in perfume, pass it rapidly under his nose, and extract from the fleeting cloud of scent one or another of its ingredients without being significantly distracted by the complex blending of its other parts. Then, holding the handkerchief at the end of his outstretched arm, to drop down the name of the ingredient he had discovered and repeat the process at once, letting the handkerchief flit by his nose, snatching at the next fragment of scent, and so on. So vibrational theory addresses this particular point of functional groups head on. If you look back to the days before um, NMR machines, nuclear magnetic resonance machines, that allow you to determine the structure of a molecule, the way people used to do it is by infrared spectroscopy, so by the vibrations of the molecules. And the reason they used to do that is because typically functional groups, the ones I've been talking about, NOH, CN, NC, SH, etc., all have very distinctive vibrational frequencies. So that if you have, in the, in the old days, if you had an unknown molecule, the first thing you would do is to see if it had a recognizable functional group. And that told you what its chemistry was, really, basically, what, what it was going to do in the reactions. And also, you could identify it if you compared it to a known spectrum. So to me, it makes sense that the nose should be able to do that. And it seems that if, if you could do that, uh, if you could measure the vibrations of the molecule, it would be a huge evolutionary advantage because you'd be doing what chemists uh, used to do so from the 20s until about the 70s uh, to identify unknowns. Today, there's something for everyone. Well, not quite. Here's what's missing, according to researchers from Tokyo's Keio University. They have developed the Smellovision, a device able to release smells that match the images shown on screen. Someone looking at their holiday snaps on their computer, for instance, will receive a whiff of the seaside. All that's needed is an ordinary inkjet printer. Smell is difficult. The, the mechanism is actually um, really quite simple. And in fact, it was discovered by two chemists at the Ford Motor Company uh, labs. It goes something like this. Imagine you have an electron coming up against a gap and it can cross it by, by a quantum mechanical phenomenon called tunneling. It basically it just sort of jumps across the gap, okay? Now, it can do that if on the other side of the gap there is a place for the electron to land, so an, a, an empty spot waiting for an electron to come. Now, imagine the empty spot, instead of being on the same energy level as the, coming, as the incoming electron, is slightly below. Then in order for the electron to jump, it has to do two things. It has to go across and lose some energy. Otherwise, it won't be able to go across. Now, if you put in the gap a molecule that can soak up that amount of energy in the form of a vibration, then the electron will tunnel through. If there's nothing in the gap to soak up that energy, then the electron does not tunnel through. So in essence, what, what you've done is you've made a switch that turns on, that is switched on, 
only when A, a molecule is present, and B, that molecule has a vibration that corresponds to that energy jump. What is he talking about? <laughs> <laughs> is my nose a series of quantum switches? So this is, yeah, this is one of the, the ideas behind quantum biology is that actually we have sort of these evolutionarily developed mechanisms that actually have roots in, in quantum physics. So in the nose, the idea is that it's the quantum vibrations of the molecules, which can only take on certain amounts of energy. They, they are the means by which the, the nose distinguishes uh, between molecules. So, so you get a certain vibrational energy, and there's a kind of quantum element to the receptor mm. where it will only basically you know, bind to that receptor if it has the right vibrational frequency. And then uh, in order to do that, it has to do something called quantum tunneling, where it actually goes across a short gap, which kind of, you know, loses a certain amount of energy doing it. But only a certain molecule can make that jump effectively. Uh, so you're in a position where you're talking about having a quantum mechanism that triggers something in the brain. But people say it's overkill. I mean, it's, you know, is it really that, that complex, that complex mm. and that sensitive? So, so the, the problem with it is that actually you can design experiments where you say, oh, only a certain frequency of vibration will sort of be detectable. And you can do this with fruit flies. And Luca Turin did this with fruit flies. And it seemed to work, but nobody could replicate his experiments. So it only really worked the once. So the idea was that the fruit flies could distinguish between two different smells which would have two different vibrational frequencies uh -huh. but in a lock and key thing would look exactly the same so turing's idea is a good one it's interesting but i still think you'd have to classify it as a fringe theory interesting stuff and do you stand by fringe theory <laughs> <laughs> so Luca wasn't terribly impressed by the phrase. And so he emailed the producer afterwards and mm -hmm. um, Max was able to say to him what I really meant, which is that fringe theory is a good thing. We need a new theory. Obviously, it's on the fringes because it's not widely accepted yet, but it's on its way in. Actually, we've had studies of honeybees that have replicated the idea that maybe vibration is more plausible than lock and key. Mm. And by fringe theory, I just mean it's on the outside, like the theory of atoms once was, you know, relativity wasn't accepted straight away as well. I'll put Luca's mind at rest and say, you know, maybe he's onto something and it's going to be... <laughs> oh, that's good of you. <laughs> it's going to be a while before it's accepted, but eventually, maybe even posthumously, he's going to be seen as a pioneer. Because to be fair, he was... Posthumously, <laughs> he was He was quite cross on Twitter, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, he was. Yeah, I think we're fine now. I think we're fine. We we have good exchanges on Twitter. It's all positive. You're fine, are you? Yeah, yeah. I, th I think we're, you know, it's, it's good. Definitely, he knows I respect him. Definitely fine now. <laughs> yes, we're fine. Luca, are you there? This is a piece of completely irresponsible journalism because my children, my grown children, have been calling me fringe. <laughs> All right? And, and wait, wait. I am actually completely bald. So, uh, so okay. Oh, it's no, painful no. stuff for you, Luca. I'm sorry. No, very painful. And the oh. other thing is my, my wife says if you're a fringe, you, you know, you got to wear one of those white leather jackets with fringes. All right? Because, <laughs> all right? So, so I, no, I agree I mean, with that, Luca. I think you should no, wear I agree. that jacket. So, so, but, but you have no idea. My life basically unraveled after this fringe. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, even in the lab, you know, they say, well, dude, you know, fringe is, you know, great. Good for you. No, fringe is fine, Luca. Fringe is good. No, but let me, let me 
<laughs> Let me just say this on a, on a more serious note. Yeah, the the um, I actually I've actually been refereeing some actual fringe science. Yeah. Um, because of the uh, foundation in the U.S. that's out completely at the edge of things, and that stuff is. I mean, most of the actual French stuff is just totally laughable. So my initial objection was I didn't want to be labeled with people who are just simply off their rocker. I mean, it's good to be a little crazy, but not too much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> crazy in moderation, isn't it? I think you know deep down that I quite like your theory. And, and no, I, I, I did. And no, I, I did. It's just that you guys, I mean, because you guys <laughs> enjoy having, you know, you have a good time with science and everything. Sure, we you do. don't realize how conservative scientists are. And yeah. to be, literally, to be described as, as, as fringe, it could actually really damage somebody's uh, career. Well, uh, maybe don't put it on your grant applications. <laughs> well, no, I do. I do. No, no, I do. Because now I apply to those crazy guys. <laughs> and I, crazy I people have got loads of money. <laughs> exactly. So I put that at the very top. I said, fringe, fringe theory. And then I put, you know, the, 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 the podcast and everything in the link. <laughs> And, uh, and I've got tons of money. <laughs> well, I mean, in a way, I, he should get 10%. Yeah, I was going to say, we're a little bit short of cash over here, Luca, if you, know, if you want to share it around. Yeah, but you, that's because you guys are doing fringe journalism. <laughs> that's Look, fair. You see, I completely take that. Michael, <laughs> for once and for all, just apologise to Luca, please. <laughs> There is no need to. Really. No, Luca, there is, Luca. Luca there no, is. Luca, I'm sorry you misinterpreted the label fringe. No, you guys have a really big budget for props. Send me a white leather jacket size XXL with fringes. Rick's already No problem. Happy Christmas, Luca. Happy Christmas. Happy <laughs> right. Christmas. Nice talking to you. Sorry again about my colleague. No problem. <laughs> Cheers. Oh, I've been set up. <laughs> <laughs> that was absolutely ideal. <laughs> I should have seen that coming. Was like, <laughs> why done. is the feed cut off from my cans? Yeah, yeah. You should have done. <sighs> um, but also, that apology was pathetic. That was the kind of apologise that I some Very deliberately. Yeah. I not saying sorry. No. Like, I'm sorry if you misunderstood what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I've got you loads of money. Oh, we were really, um, we've all been looking forward to that <laughs> for, for weeks. <laughs> what a bunch of tossers. <laughs> I hope you're not including Luca in that. <laughs> he was in on it, wasn't he? Yes, he was, actually. Yeah. He was. Uh, so that was producer Max's pick. Do you want to go next? Yes, please. No, I'm going to go for this one, I think. Um, <laughs> oh, that's typical. This, <laughs> yeah, this was not a hard decision for me because this is, I think, one of the best things I've ever heard in my life, science or otherwise. Um, fringe? This is not... I don't think that fringe. This is from the fly episode, and the question was, could we ever make a human-fly hybrid? Cue the legend. So my name's Randy Lewis. I'm a U-star professor of biology at Utah State University. Randy's also got a bit of a thing about spider silk. Namely, he wants to get his hands on as much of it as he possibly can. I think from very early on, we recognized that, that you weren't going to be able to farm spiders. As I somewhat jokingly, but for real, tell people, um, they have two personality defects. The spiders are both territorial and they're cannibalistic. So when you try to raise them, they kill each other until everybody has enough space. Um, in addition, the problem is that the spiders that we work with make the typical round web called an orb web, 
And the web itself is made out of four different kinds of silks with very different mechanical properties. So you have one that has really no elasticity. You have another one that'll stretch as far as rubber band. Um, you have one that's very weak and one that's as strong as Kevlar. So um, just collecting the webs would not really benefit you very much. Um, so it, it was pretty early on that we recognized that, that for any kind of large scale production, uh, we were gonna have to use a different organism than spiders. Here's an old mother goose rhyme, slightly goosed. Little Miss Muffet sat on a tuffet eating goat milk curds and whey. Along came a spider and sat down beside her and said, my web silk's in that milk, I say. A spider web in goat milk, even before it comes out of the goat? It may sound like a 1950s B-grade science fiction movie, but it's real. In this new era of transgenic science, Spider-Man is out and the Spider-Goat is in. We were contacted by a company in Canada called Nexia Biotechnologies who developed a technology for doing the same kind of protein production in goats, and, and particularly in goat's milk. So we got together with them using their technology and our expertise on the genes um, and started the process. So we basically put together the, the process that they used, which was our gene. They put it together with control elements in, in the DNA uh, of goats that specifically would provide this protein that we were putting in there that would only be made in the milk and only during lactation. So they were able to, to put the gene together with ours. That gene construct is passage into embryos. Uh, then you basically transfer the embryo to, to a mama goat and you start raising babies. And then when they're out, um, you do a genetic exam and see if they have the spider silk gene. They got very lucky. The very first goat they got was a male. Um, so obviously he was able to mate with um, a large number of females. And from there, then some of those females, offspring, um, had the gene. And they were able to demonstrate using hormonal stimulation that the gene was actually produced in the milk. Um, they then bred those goats and started a, a herd of goats that produced spider silk protein. Yes, Randy. <laughs> the guy's made a spider goat. That's what I'm talking about. Enough said, isn't it, really? I mean, he's, he's got a goat that's also a spider. Ah, oh, I mean, it's a shame, obviously, that the goat doesn't have eight legs. <laughs> That's, if I have one criticism, it would be oh that. Oh, my God, I can't believe it. Not only are the quantum guys not good enough for no, you. No, 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 I'm saying, listen, Randy, I, I'm very... Randy, has your goat only got four <laughs> legs? That's very disappointing. <laughs> I'm saying I still love it. Okay. But, I mean, okay, are you telling me you wouldn't like it if the spider goat didn't have eight, <laughs> legs? eight legs? Yes, you would. <laughs> of course you'd want that. So he's just nicking the, the silk protein out of the milk? Yeah. So you just, it's basically a chemical process. Whip uh, it out and whip there it you out. go. Yeah, yeah. What a total, total baller. Yeah. I stand by that. <laughs> total baller. And do you stand by your disappointment about the, the goats not having eight legs? Yeah. Still still fuming about that? Well, it just, yeah, it's slightly disappointing, isn't it? No? Uh, no, no, I can live with that. What's your ultimate chimera? Octochimp. So how are you configuring the octochimp? Well, it's difficult to decide. I quite like the idea of a chimp's head plus octopus legs, which all kind of have their own brain and, and nervous system as well. So it's like the ultimate in intelligence, really, isn't it? 
If so, you're not going to go for humans. So not something that looks basically like a chimp but has eight arms. Then. No, because I think that would just be better at climbing and, and, you know, and killing bush babies and things like that. But but I think the, you know, the octopus body with the chimp's brain, I think that's a winner. Yeah, that is a winner, actually. I'll give you that. Not well, as good as the spider goat. <laughs> um, and uh, just as a little sort of teaser spoiler, I guess, there will be some more Chimera chats in season three. Of course there will. And it's really, really lively. <laughs> so is it my go now? I think I'm going to do the last one as well, actually. <laughs> You're bloody well not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, go on. I am going to pick The Matrix, which was a great episode of ours. Mm-hmm. And basically, I think... I saw you have a little bit of a meltdown. Yes, I had an existential crisis. And I want to revisit that. (laughs) So another exclusive reveal is that uh, we went from existential crisis in season two and in season three, we're going to give him a full-on, basically, absolute massive midlife crisis. Hang on, I'm just trying to... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true, actually. <laughs> it's it's so true that it's slightly painful to joke about. Um, so look out for that, guys. <laughs> anyway, so the episode was The Matrix. The question was, is what we think is real actually real? And as explained by New York University and Australian National University philosopher Professor David Chalmers, we aren't the first people to ask this question. Amazingly. I'd say the classical version of this idea was from the 17th century philosopher René Descartes, who in his Meditations on First Philosophy asked the question, how do I know anything at all? You know, I'm normally pretty sure that there's a world around me, that I have a body, that I'm using a computer, and so on. But then Descartes asks, well, how do I know? It might be that an evil demon is fooling me into thinking all of this is real, when in fact the demon is just feeding me perceptions and sensations to deceive me. And Descartes used this to suggest that it's a lot harder than we think to know anything about reality. So the matrix idea is really, as I see it, it's just kind of an updated version of Descartes' evil demon hypothesis. In the in the 21st century, we ask, how do you know you're not living in a simulation? It's another way of raising the question, how do we know anything at all? We are living in a computer-programmed reality, and the only clue we have to it is when some variable is changed and some alteration in our reality occurs. We would have the overwhelming impression that we were reliving the present. Deja vu. So the simulation hypothesis is the hypothesis that we're living in a computer simulation. like. The Matrix. Um, maybe my brain is connected up to the simulation the way that Neo's brain is connected in the movie. Interestingly, in the movie, his brain isn't simulated. That's biological. But it could be that the whole universe is simulated, including the brains as well. And then we'd have a complete simulation of the universe. So the simulation hypothesis says that I'm in one of those situations. Everything I experience is coming from a computer simulation. And this is you know, illustrated in science fiction like The Matrix and then you know, science fiction novels for decades before then. I think you know, Isaac Asimov 
had a version of this. Lately, some philosophers are starting to be taking this hypothesis seriously. Nick Bostrom has given an argument that he calls the simulation argument that we may well be living in a simulation. And the way it goes is roughly that in the history of the universe, many simulated universes are going to be developed. Almost any intelligent civilization, if it develops long enough, will eventually have the capacity to program computers and create simulated universes, as we do with, you know, video games and virtual worlds. This will just be a souped-up version of that. No reason to think it's impossible eventually. So if you start thinking about that, then, well, there's one base-level universe, many, many simulated universes, a certain number of unsimulated beings, potentially hugely more simulated beings. Then you start to say, what are the odds that I am one of the few unsimulated beings? And you start to say, well, that's probably probably much more likely, numerically, statistically, that I'm simulated. So that leads one naturally to the conclusion that perhaps it's likely that we are simulated and that the simulation hypothesis is true. Now, maybe there are ways to avoid that conclusion. I mean, Bostrom suggests that, you know, there are other possibilities here. Maybe all the universe, all those intelligent beings will choose not to create simulations, or maybe they'll kill themselves before they ever get to be able to. But at the very least, it looks like there's some reason here to take the hypothesis very seriously. I know what you're thinking. Because right now I'm thinking the same thing. Actually, I've been thinking it ever since I got here. Why, oh, why didn't I take the blue pill? So Nick Bostrom is trying to say that Rick Edwards is more likely to be a simulation than not. Yeah. Well, within... No, hang on, that's not right. Within the simulation hypothesis... No, I think what he would say to you is that the likelihood is that you are not anything other than something simulated by a more advanced civilization. No, but that's just within the simulation hypothesis because he gives the two other options in the simulation argument, which are also sort of likely. So he says that there's three there's three possibilities, all kind of uh, intelligent races that are that are moving towards being able to create a simulation of a universe go extinct before they're able to. Yeah. Or they lose interest yeah. in doing those kind of simulations, or they do make these simulations, and then that's when you say, okay, if the simulations are running, then it is statistically more likely that you'd be a simulation than like the yeah. base level life form. Because, I mean, he talks about actually simulations within the simulation. Yeah. Because we already make simulations. So yeah. we have things like The Sims, mm. we have all these virtual realities, we have you know games people play where we have characters within those. And you can imagine if our technology gets better, that those characters within those games will be made to be much more intelligent and eventually, you imagine, they would actually or could become conscious. And therefore, they become the subject of the conversation. You know, do they know that they're just in a simulation or do they think that what's happening to them is real? You could imagine them sort of being allowed to go off and do whatever they wanted to do and they would end up maybe yeah. making a simulation of their own. So you get this nested simulation. And the lower down you are in the nest, yeah. the more problematic that is because you're 
simulating overlords might get bored and turn you off. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, it has been they said, might like run yeah. out of computing power, just be like, ah. Uh, Got to lose one of the simulations and you get unlucky. <laughs> and you'd never know about it. And, and another argument is that actually if we find out about it and we start being conscious of it, then we behave differently and it's not as much fun to watch us anymore. So we mustn't let them know that we've discovered that we live in a simulation. No, I reckon this, the simulating overlords would, would quite like it if you got to the point where you realise you're in a simulation. They're like, uh, these guys have got a bit of spunk about them. <laughs> I've done quite well. I've created my creations. Yeah. have realised that they're just creations. Yeah, Let's I go think to level feel, two. Yeah, that is. That feels like level two. It feels really good. It feels like a positive. I don't think they're right. turning it so, off. Though. Okay, they won't turn it off. That's no, good. I think that's fine. So we're safe to talk about it. Yes, I, I think probably are. Do you believe I think it? it? Kind of no, and. I think the reason I don't is that there's such a colossal leap to to go from our virtual reality at the moment to conscious beings within a reality when we don't really understand consciousness. See, I don't think it's a huge leap. You at don't all. think that's a no, huge leap? No. I, I think that's pretty big. No, for me it's actually quite a small leap. Really? I yeah, I think I do believe in the simulation argument. I I believe that the likelihood is that we are being controlled by a more advanced civilization, mm. and they are effectively gods. Then, yeah, 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 because they they can control the, like the the laws of physics if they want to. They can change they can the laws of anything. physics. They set them up in the first yeah. place, so they can do what they want to. So, are you still happy you took the red pill, Edwards? I'm still not convinced. It's a big jump from what we can do with computer simulations to having consciousnesses populating simulations i mean to be fair we have been arguing about this pretty much every time we meet ever since that episode haven't we yeah we've got uh, i know we don't like to talk about this but we've got a book out and uh, <laughs> science-ish the peculiar science behind the movies uh, so we've been going around doing sort of events talking about various questions from the book and inevitably at some point we have an argument about this yeah so yeah. it is yeah you're because right. you're been... still intransigent aren't you about the fact that what and you're not well, I'm right. The that's the difference. That <laughs> I don't know if that's the difference. <laughs> we are going to create conscious beings. Mm. We are. I Justify mean, it to me one more time. So, I mean, your whole problem is that you think it can arise, consciousness can arise in carbon, but somehow it can't arise in silicon. So it's a kind of form of chemical racism. No, no. No, you, my, no. my issue is that our consciousness has evolved. Yeah. From a very simple form of life. And, and what we're talking about is just replicating the final result so like the human brain i think we're trying to create something that has a complex structure and if you have a complex structure then you might well get consciousness out in the same way that it happened by accident in carbon why shouldn't it happen by accident in silicon so we're not even necessarily going to have to design it in just as we oh, so you think it's create... going to be accidental we're going to create That's more not and more strengthening your argument no we're going to create more and more intelligence ais effectively and there's no reason to think that they wouldn't as we did become ever more conscious as the complexity and the intelligence arises. How close are we to this strong artificial intelligence? A long, long way off. But we have only been making computers, really, for 100 years. Speak for uh, yourself. <laughs> I am. And we're talking about you know, maybe 10,000 years into the future. We're talking about eventually it being able to be possible to make conscious things. And that is all that it requires effectively, for us to be part of a simulation that somebody else has made. Do you think we are currently living in a simulation? Yes, then? I do. And what are you going to do about it? I'm going to, I'm going to do anything about it. I'm quite happy with my, you know, my role in this, in this particular game. What, my sidekick on a podcast? <laughs> I am not your sidekick. 
You're my comic stooge. You are definitely not living in reality, my friend. <laughs> and neither are you. Do you think we might get switched off? Uh, it's possible, or it's likely that some other simulation will get switched off and, and we're part of the simulations of that simulation and then we'll just cease to exist. But that's okay. We won't know anything about it. It'll be fine. It's not happened yet. Happy Christmas! <laughs> <laughs> So there you have it. Uh, season two was, uh, well, it was pretty good, actually. Season three, though, is going to be an absolute doozy. It's going to be so good. I'm really very confident in it. Possibly, I guess the only thing I would add is not as good as the book. No, I'd say that as well. Yeah? Yeah. The book's amazing. Mm. And, and what such a great, great Christmas, Christmas present. present. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, all that's left to say is, yes, have a lovely Christmas and have a lovely New Year, and we'll see you in... Either January or February or maybe March. (laughs) Science Ish is a Radio Wolfgang production presented by me, Dr. Michael Brooks and Rick Edwards. The producer was Max Sanderson with sound design by Ivor Slayer Manley. Special thanks to all our contributors from this year, including those who took part in our live shows. If you like this show, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Give it a bit of a... Give that a bit of a... All right. We want that Christmas number one spot, and if we don't get it, there'll be trouble. What's the voice for? (laughs) Do it. Oh, no. Do your American accent. (laughs) Do your American accent. If you like this show, please subscribe. (laughs) (laughs) What's a ballad? (laughs) (laughs) 